Hello, and thank you for joining in again today for another episode of From God to Us. In our continual journey through the New Testament, we come today to the third of what is known as Paul's pastoral epistles, the book of Titus. Titus and 1st and 2nd Timothy were written at the end of Paul's life to give leadership and structure to the church of Jesus Christ. As we said in our study of 1st and 2nd Timothy, Paul wrote 1st Timothy and Titus during what we believe was released from his first Roman imprisonment, and he wrote 2nd Timothy during his second Roman imprisonment, which was the last epistle that he wrote or that we have record of. But today we come to the book of Titus, and we may state the theme to the book of Titus as this. Paul sends Titus to the island of Crete in order to appoint elders and to set things in order in all the churches on the island of Crete. The book provides a manual for church leaders similar to 1 Timothy. As we look at the background of this letter, the island of Crete in the Mediterranean Sea was known for its notorious immorality. The phrase, to act like a Cretan, was a phrase that came to mean something like to play the liar. So there was much uh, immorality on this island. The only record we have of Paul visiting this island was on his trip to Rome, found in Acts 27. It is possible that he led some people to Christ while he was there, and then some churches were established from that. Others think that he spent some time there after his release from the first Roman imprisonment. In any case, there were Christians and churches on the island that needed leadership and direction. Paul had trained Titus and sent him to finish the work that he had started. He sent him to appoint elders to lead the churches and to set things in order regarding sound doctrine and good behavior that would give good, positive testimony to the Lord Jesus Christ. The church of Jesus Christ was never meant to be a free-for-all, as we said in First and Second Timothy. God always provided leaders for the people who would bring structure and order and teaching to the ministry. Godly leadership is very important for the existence of the church of Jesus Christ. Jesus never left his church without leadership. This letter was sent from Paul to Titus to give him instructions for appointing elders. Elders were to be men of godly character who could organize and instruct God's people. In the New Testament, elders were never elected by popular vote of the people, but they were appointed by an apostle or one trained by an apostle. This is a little bit different from today in our churches often People are, are voted on by the congregation. Now, we don't have apostles or those directly trained by the apostles to appoint elders, but it seems to be the pattern is that godly trained men appointed other elders. So these men uh, were placed in charge of these churches to protect against false teachers, to teach sound doctrine, and to guide people in the proper way to live. As we look at Titus and the structure of the book, chapter 1 focuses on leadership. In chapter 1, Paul gives a list of qualifications of elders, which is very similar to the list of 
elder for qualifications that he lists in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Paul explains why is it so important for elders to live by these characteristics. There was much sin in the island of Crete, and some of that had crept into the church, which is similar today. There's much sin in our culture today, and sometimes sin creeps into our church, and so we need good godly leadership and teaching. Elders should also have a blameless life so that they could confront sin and the false teachers. So this was why it was important for elders to have good godly lives. Chapters 2 and 3 contain general instructions for godly living. Instructions are given to older men and women to teach and disciple younger men and women. Younger men and women should respect and learn from their elders, that is, those who are older than them. Believers are to give up worldly passions by keeping their focus on the return of Jesus Christ. It's temptation for all of us, even today, to give in to the world's desires and the world's teachings and the passions of this world. And so we need to learn how to focus our attention correctly so we don't give in to these worldly passions. Believers were to remember that they were not saved by works, but by the regeneration of the Holy Spirit, which comes through the grace and mercy of God in Jesus Christ. They were to focus on doing that which was righteous for the glory of God. So that's an overview of the book of Titus. And so now we want to turn our attention to the text itself. We will work our way through the text as we have with the other books and point out some of the major highlights of what Paul is teaching here. Now when we come to the book of Titus, Paul's introduction to most of his letters was pretty short. Paul an apostle from you know, Paul or maybe who those were traveling with him to whoever he was writing to and then grace and peace to you from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. But however, this letter starts differently. Notice verse 1 of chapter 1. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness, a faith and knowledge resting in the hope of eternal life which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time, and at his appointed season, he brought his word to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Savior. Now, you notice that's quite different from Paul's typical introduction. So it's for the faith, the continual faith of God's elect, those who have been saved, the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. So this is an important theme throughout the book is godly living. Qualified, trained leaders who can teach others to live godly lives. It's a, this faith and knowledge is rested in the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. So evidently, God, in his sovereignty, even before time began, had promised that this hope of eternal life for all people would, would come forth through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This was God's plan before he ever created anyone. And uh, this has been brought to light, he says, through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Savior. So Paul had been entrusted with the preaching of the gospel and the preaching of God's truth that has now come to full light at this time. So he begins by talking to Titus and saying, verse 5, the reason I left you in Crete was to that you might straighten out what was left unfinished and to appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So 
Paul had established some churches, but he obviously didn't have time to fully organize them, to appoint leaders, and to set things in proper order. And so Titus has been trained by Paul and now is left there in Isle of Crete in order to do this. So then he follows with giving the instructions and qualifications for an elder. An elder must be blameless, the husband of one wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer is entrusted with God's work, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and self-disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. It's interesting in this text, he uses the word elder and the word overseer. They are different words, but they seem to be interchangeable for elder and overseer. Some see the role of uh, an elder different from that of an overseer, but here Paul is kind of using these words interchangeably. The main thing is uh, Titus needs to appoint elders in every church, men who meet these qualifications in order to lead the churches. And so again, this list of qualifications is very similar to what we see in 1 Timothy. Maybe some slight differences, but the main thing is that when you appoint a person as elder, you must be able to examine their character, and their character must be in line with the things that Paul has outlined here. Because if you're going to be a leader and a teacher in the church, you must live a life that is an example of a faithful, godly follower of Jesus Christ. And so these are some of the qualifications. If you are, as we said in 1 Timothy, if you are a leader in any position in the church, I think you should look at these qualifications and ask yourself, is this true of me? If there's something that's not in line with being a qualified leader, then that's something in your life you need to work on. So Titus is supposed to look at the men, look at their character of their life, and then appoint certain ones to be elders and leaders in the church. Then he goes on to say, verse 10, For there are many rebellious people, mere talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision group. They must be silenced because they are ruining whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach, and that for the sake of dishonest gain. So he's, there's people out there who are, who are rebelling against the truth of the word of God, who want to teach their own teaching. And he says, especially those of the circumcision group, the the Jewish people who've been raised in the law and now are trying to add the law back to the gospel message. And he says, you must silence them. As a leader, you must put away the false teaching that is ruining people's households, breaking them apart and teaching wrong doctrine. Even one of their own prophets has said, Christians are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. This is what a person who lived in Crete said of their own people. Again, they're liars. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in their faith and will pay no attention to Jewish myths or to the commands of those who reject the truth, to the pure 
All things are pure, but to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and consciences are corrupted. They claim to know God, but their actions, their actions, they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. So these people who claim to know the truth and claim to teach the truth, but their lives do not reflect that. It reflects that of how the people of Crete live. They, they were liars. And so they say, I know the truth, but they live a different way. And so he says, don't let these people teach in the church. Teach them the correct way, but don't allow them to continue to corrupt people in the congregation. In chapter 2, he's going to talk about begin by talking about sound doctrine and proper living. He says, you must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, sound in faith, and love and endurance. So what's in keeping with sound doctrine? Well, part of that is the way you live. If you're an older person in the church, you should be respected, but your life should be worthy of respect. You should be temperate, self-controlled, sound in your faith, know what you believe, be a person of love. And so you, you should be an example. Likewise, teach older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Older women should be, again, worthy of respect. If people are going to look up to you, then your life should reflect a life that is worthy of respect. Then they can teach younger women to love their husbands and children and to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. So if you want to teach younger people, be sure your life is in order and you are living a godly life. I mean, if you're an older person, you should be wanting to teach younger people, but you must have a life that's worthy of the Lord and so that you can teach others. He says, similarly, encourage young men to be self-controlled and everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. So he's saying, okay, teach these younger men and then give them an example to look up to. Because if you teach one thing, but your life says another, they're not going to listen to you and they're going to speak bad against you. But if your life is in keeping with what you're teaching, then they have an example to follow. He says, teach slaves to be subject to their masters and everything to try to please them, not to talk back to them or to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teachers about God and our Savior attractive. So again, Paul is not saying slavery is right. He's just saying if that's the situation you find yourself in, be sure that your life is reflecting of who Christ is and don't, don't be disrespectful to your masters, but work hard. Verse 11, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in, the, in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own 
eager to do what is good. So the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. It hasn't appeared to all people, but it has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. So the gospel is for all people. God's salvation is for all people. Now, not all people are saved. Not all people will believe, but the gospel is for all people, for all the world, for all time. And he says, it has appeared bringing salvation to all people. Not that everyone will be saved again, but it is available for all people. And he says, this gospel teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled and upright lives until the Lord comes. The blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's coming again. It will be a great and glorious return. And we should be focusing our eyes on him and on his return so that when he returns, we'll not be ashamed of the way we have lived. Our lives will be a reflection of Christ our Savior, and we must keep our hope on his return, not on the things of this world. Verse 15, these then are the things that you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. So he's saying, okay, you got to teach. You got to teach it with authority because you have been placed there. You have been sent by an apostle of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ to teach. And you know, don't let anyone despise you. Live a life that's worthy of what you're teaching and instruct people in the correct way to live. Chapter 3, verse 1, remind the people to be subject to the rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable, considerate, and to show true humility toward all men. We should obey those in leadership over us, even in our government. Now, we live in a nation where we can affect change by our voting and so forth, but the laws of the land, unless they are immoral and opposed to what God is saying, we should obey. We should obey the authorities, but we should be ready to live a godly life so that people see what kind of life we have. At that time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared he saved us, not because of the righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So he's saying, okay, one time we lived just like the world, but Christ came and he saved us, not by what we have done. The gospel and salvation is not by works, it's a gift of God. It's free. And the salvation comes because of God's mercy and grace. When we place our faith and hope and trust in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone, in the work that he did on the cross, in his death, his shed blood, and his resurrection, God saves us. And the gospel is open for all people, but it's not by works. There are many people today that want to add works to the salvation message of Jesus Christ. Works are good. This this, this book is talking about living a godly life, and that's the way we should live once we are saved. But it is not what makes us saved. It's not what makes us righteous before God. The only thing that can do that is Jesus Christ and the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. And that comes by faith 
and faith alone in Jesus Christ. He says, this is a trustworthy saying that I want you to stress these things so that those who trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. So if you have faith in Christ and you have been regenerated and you're born again and you're a child of God, then you live a life of good works. Good works follow salvation, but they aren't required for salvation. Verse 9, but avoid foolish controversies and genealogies, arguments and quarrels about the law because these are, are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once, warn him a second time, and none of that have nothing to do with him. You may be sure that such a man is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. So there are arguments and controversies that sometimes we engage in, in as Christians that really we shouldn't. It's just a waste of time. They're unprofitable. It doesn't help anybody. And sometimes we just need to avoid some of these controversies. Focus on the truth. Focus on the gospel. Focus on the way you live. If there's a person who's divisive, you know, throughout my ministry, I've seen people who are just, they just have a divisive nature. They want to cause trouble. They, they want to find something that's wrong in the church and criticize or, or teach something that's not truth because they think they have all the truth and they become divisive. I had a man one time come to my church and he wanted to teach something that I thought was incorrect and we had discussions about it, but he wanted to bring it into the church and had come to find out that everywhere he went, he caused controversy and stirred people up in the church by this false teaching that he had. And so I basically had to confront him and say, we're not gonna teach that here. And in the end, he left the church. But these are the type of people that come in and they just wanna, they wanna cause controversy. They're not interested in the truth of Jesus Christ and the gospel. Then he closes and says, as soon as I send Artemis and Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis because I have decided to winter there. Do everything you can to help Zenos, uh, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way to see you and have uh, everything they need. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order that they may provide for daily necessities and not live unproductive lives. Everyone with me sends you greetings. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. So again, he just closes by listing some people and telling Titus to come and see him and then saying people must uh, devote themselves to good and godly living. Well, that is the book of Titus. I think there's some things we learn from that similar to what we might learn from the book of First and Second Timothy is that Number one, Jesus wants godly men and women to lead his church. Paul said in the qualifications for elders in 1 Timothy that elders should not be a recent convert because they need to grow, they need to mature in the Lord, they need to be God, have godly character, and this is what God desires. And so when we place people in leadership, they should have a life that reflects godly living and holiness. Leaders must be chosen according to the character of their life. So yes, we must examine the life of those who are being placed in leadership. You don't just put someone there who says, hey, I want to be a leader. I want to be an elder. I want to be a teacher. You must examine their lives. Our salvation calls us to give up worldly passions. So 
when we come to Christ and are born again, we don't go back to living the old way. We don't go back to living the way the world lives. Worldly passions and desires and lust, we must give up in order that we might live a godly and holy life and be an example that people can look up to. Finally, our salvation should motivate us to live godly lives. When we realize that we don't deserve our salvation, we've done nothing to receive it, there's no righteous deeds that we can do to deserve it. It's all a gift of grace of God, and God has saved us. That should motivate us to say, I want to live for God and live a righteous and a holy life. Well, friends, that is the little book of Titus and the things that we can learn from it. And I trust that you will continue to study it and hopefully draw some other applications from it. But I trust and pray that God will bless you as you continue to read and study his word.